Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Tish Millsap. Tish, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Kamala. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Tish Millsap. As you said, I am the founder of a small company called Revenate Marketing. And uh, we've been doing uh, consulting with businesses for about 10 years. The name of the company is actually a combination of the word revenue and generate. So Revenate. And I've always just been really passionate about helping marketers really show the value and connect their um, efforts to revenue. I love that because we all know that business leaders care most about the bottom line and anything we can do to help connect our efforts to the bottom line helps sell marketing. (laughs) So speaking of which, to be taken seriously as a business leader, there are certain terms and uh, concepts that are used pretty consistently across businesses. And you really need to learn how to speak that language. What does that maturity continuum look like for marketing? We, we tend like smaller organizations tend to be kind of restricted in what they can do. What's that yeah. crawl, walk, run that you see a lot of times? Well, I do think that that uh, a sign of maturity of your marketing organization is kind of based on what you can report out on mm-hmm. at the very basic level, you know, kind of when you're a traditional marketing uh, team, you really just report out on activities. We had this webinar with this many registrations. We delivered this many impressions. And then kind of to get to the next level, you start calculating, okay, well, how effective was my marketing? So I might want to look at what was my cost per lead generated or something like that. And then as you get more sophisticated, that's when you start attributing to revenue. And it's really um, a historical look back. You're able to say, okay, we did these things and we can say reasonably well, that these particular activities influence this amount of revenue. But I really think the holy grail is for a marketing organization to be able to forecast revenue, to be able to take their plan and say, this is what I expect to be able to influence and generate in terms of the marketing activities and what they can influence on pipeline and revenue. And that's where I really try to get my clients to is a place where they can actually predict what revenue they're going to generate from their marketing plan. Now, there are a lot of naysayers out there who say it's impossible because there's a lot of things we can't measure. If we were to impart anything upon those people, what would it be? Well, I agree with them to a certain extent. There's not, uh, you know, and there's a lot of debate around attribution models and things like that. Are they really able to encompass all the different things, the secret sauce, if you will? And it really, it can't. Um, So you have to do kind of the best possible option of saying, okay, if you put a lot of rigor into your metrics, and I think that that's one of the things that I've really tried to implement is is making sure that we're not... So for example, a really broad metric might be like, okay, here we have this opportunity and we had this marketing thing that happened 12 months ago, and we're going to say that that influenced that opportunity. Let's not do that. Let's just not shoot ourselves in the foot in terms of not having a strong attribution model. Let's do something really tight and say, okay, in the 60 days prior to the opportunity creation, these three things happened. And we're going to say that those had influence over over that opportunity creation. I think it would just have a lot of more credibility if you um, don't try to take a wide swath in terms of what you're attributing uh, marketing activities to. 
But in terms of forecasting, you do have to have kind of those that same baseline agreement on what it is that we're doing attribution to in order to do forecasting as well. So getting everyone on board with saying, okay, it's not perfect, but this is what we're going to agree to is a reasonable um, dial for us to say, if we dialed this up, we would get more deals. If we dialed it down, we would get less deals. But I think it's really marketing needs to be the responsible one and, and make it very tight, the correlation between those things. I love those points and 100% agree. Uh, I've always been very vocal about attribution can't capture everything because not everything is measurable and that's okay. The goal here should really be, do we agree we're considering the most influential touch points? Are we ingesting all of the core data that we can that's influential? And can we get that cross-functional buy-in? And sometimes... Rarely, marketers are using attribution to optimize campaigns, and you may not need to incorporate things like sales signals, channel referrals, all of those product signals. But when you're trying to argue your contribution to the business as a share of other people's efforts, and you're ignoring other people's efforts, that gets a little bit harder to sell. Have you, has, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think... Um, one of the problems with attribution these days is kind of looking at it as a one size fits all. There's different kinds of models to use in different kinds of calculations. So if you're trying to, as a marketer, I want to look at, I want to understand which campaigns are influencing opportunity creation. I might take a longer look back window. Mm -hmm. I might also look at not just contacts that are attached to the opportunity, but contacts that are attached to the account. So I might take this wider view because, oh, I was able to drive engagement with people that are at the right kind of company that became an opportunity. So that gives me a very broad view of what's working and what's not working. But if I'm going to my um, C-level executives and I'm saying, give me more money and I'm going to drive more revenue, then I'm going to really tighten that window up. I'm going to look at a very narrow band of time and a very narrow band of people. Maybe I only look at the primary contact that was, and what did the primary contact do? And what was the last thing that they did? And that's what I'm going to say, hey, I can really see a correlation between this marketing activity and revenue creation. Let's do more of that. I will share a cautionary tale that we learned internally. It's quite interesting. So the primary contact for the sales team is always the functional person. We talk to operations a lot. That's who interacts with us. So our assumption was our website should really be tailored to that audience and really speak to how we're different, what we do, and what we're capable of. We looked at the data across the entire account and discovered the first people on our website are VP CMO level. And that's because they're the ones championing the initiative to correct the data. A lot of times our operations folks, yeah, sure, they would love to do a bunch of stuff, but they've got such a long list that they can't lift their head up long enough to say this would make life easier. The VP and CMO kick it off. So we had to completely restructure our content. <laughs> so just... No, I completely, I've had a similar thing happen is that they thought the VP of finance was the be all end all. And the VP of finance did get involved with the buying process later on and was kind of the person they had to convince the most, but it was actually developers who were the initiating the buying, buying journey for this particular client. So I think good old fashioned persona work 
is really important before you start, you know, making these decisions, which you think is a very technical decision. Like I'm going to look at the buyer's team or I'm just going to look at the primary contact or I'm just, you know, you think that's a very technical decision and it's not. It actually is very much influenced by the classic product marketing, understanding your buyer's journey. Oh yeah. And qualitative data, I can't say enough about it. Interviewing past opportunities, figuring out who all was just ask people, I think. It's is a mystery to me why there's a hesitation to do that. I mean, have you experienced that? I feel like, well, like, couldn't we just call up five customers and talk? And they're like, Oh, I don't know about that. But that's yes. where the, the, the real knowledge is. Yeah. I have absolutely seen that in organizations, particularly where the heads of the organizations don't get along particularly well. And that still does happen. I guess I've been really lucky because I am the sales engineer on a lot of the calls. So I have <laughs> to be there. It's been fantastic as a marketer. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. You really do get to hear what they're thinking and what their pain points are. But yeah, that's so important for us. So I think we've established perfection is not what we're aiming for. And consistency, looking at the same metrics, figuring out what works when, what are some other goals marketers should aim for when it comes to reporting? Well, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for the marketing team to get together on a regular basis. I always implement a weekly reporting meeting. And here's where we're... uh, The first part of the meeting is usually like, these are the KPIs. How are we tracking against the goals? You know, very rigid, like this is what we want to look at every week. But the second half of the meeting is usually an ad hoc analysis. So somebody has been interested in saying, okay, how many phone calls are we getting on each MQL? Let's run an analysis on what happened in the last two months. And then we get an opportunity to dive in and really ask additional questions and maybe manipulate the data in other ways. That's where we, I really love having the um, head of the BDR SDR team in there too, because we can really start to have that back and forth of like, like, Oh, the, uh, you know, this webinar happened last week. Those leads got in the hand of your team. What was the feedback? How is it going? So we use that sort of metrics reporting meeting as a way to collaborate across the organization too. And I will say one thing too, you know, speaking of revenue is that in those meetings, I also uh, try to make sure that everybody is very aware of what the quarterly revenue goal. I can't believe how many marketers do not know the numbers. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah, they don't. When I ask about like, what's your normal pipeline production and what's your, I don't know. And they don't know. And and you're just like, you're not part of the business. You're not. I mean, I know you're worried about how many clicks are on your ad on Google ads. I get it. You do need to worry about that. But the end game of this business is revenue. And if you're not tracking where we are, even on just revenue, not just pipeline, great, but you know, you should know where the business are and what the goal is for the year. So always try to use that meeting as well to reemphasize like, okay, we're 2.3 million off or whatever. And so that creates urgency for marketers and empathy for them with the sales team. Oh my gosh. And I love that you said weekly because... (laughs) 
because if you're looking retrospectively at the end of every quarter, it's too late. Mm -hmm. If you are looking consistently and can spot a gap, you can make a decision to allocate your budget differently. So that also requires understanding what's more revenue generating versus initial um, acquisition name acquisition type. So yeah, yeah, getting familiar with your numbers and what's tied to which stage of the journey. And being able to react to them. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really powerful too. If you know that the MQL goal that you've created for September is 350 MQLs or whatever it is, and it's the 15th and you've only generated an 170, you can do something about that. But after the month is over, you can't do anything. Right. Um, so creating uh, that weekly cadence and meeting allows your team to be more agile too. Right. And I just, I love, let's pause a moment because I really love this. Uh, <laughs> not only can you react to it, but you can react to it in a very productive, meaningful way instead of the old way, which no one should be doing anymore, which is changing your definition of the MQL to meet your number. Ooh, yeah. <sighs> You know, when I was uh, first learning demand gen, way in the way back machine or whatever, I remember getting my MQL goal and being like, does my boss know that I can change the definition? <laughs> well, I was like, are they aware that this is kind of arbitrary or whatever? Because my compensation was directly tied to how many MQLs I got. And I was like, oh, you could really easily cheat this system. It wouldn't be hard. Right, right. But I know you're an excellent marketer and did not do that because you understand. No. It's my just... Whole- passion about being in demand gen. And, you know, early in my career, I was so lucky I got to do all the kinds of marketing I did. I, you know, managed the creative team. I did uh, product marketing stuff, you know, but when I got into demand gen, I was like, oh, this is the connection to the revenue. This is where you're closest to like what the business cares about. And that's when I got really passionate about that. And that's why the MQL number doesn't really matter. It's the conversion rate that matters to opportunity. Absolutely. So speaking of which, we touched on forecasting briefly. And for those of you out there who are intimidated by the word forecasting, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And there is a crawl, walk, run. So I would love to speak with you about let's say we don't have attribution in place. What are some of the things we can start measuring to find the correlation and conversion rates? Well, I want to take a step back from that to get even a little bit more rudimentary because I am so passionate about marketers forecasting uh, their revenue. So I think number one, if you want to forecast revenue is you have to have a really good handle on actuals. So that monthly, that weekly meeting where you're looking at actuals that everyone trusts those numbers, they agree with those numbers, and you need to have had a significant number of months since you've been tracking actuals. Otherwise, you you can't forecast. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. So a moment in time, kind of meaningless without context, which is trend analysis. Totally agree. The other thing is, and um, I hate to say this, you know, we're at December 14th, uh, the end of the year. And you got to plan. You got to have a plan. I can't tell you how many marketing teams I work with do not have a complete plan for Q1 right now. And I like, you have to know what you're going to do. And it's not even that that is exactly what has to happen. I'm not about a rigid plan, but you can, you can only be agile and responsive if you actually have a plan in place. 
Um, otherwise, just everything is ad hoc. So in order to forecast, you have to have a plan. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, then once you have that plan in place and you have three or four months of actuals, forecasting is not that hard. You just look at the plan and say, oh, okay, I'm going to run a webinar. I'm going to promote it in kind of the similar way that I did before. I'm going to send this many emails. I'm going to do this many e-blasts. I'm going to do this much uh, you know, Google ads or something like that. And let's look at what happened last time. Okay, so last time we had... 1,000 and 1,500 registrations, and that was what we did. Well, now this time, I'm going to look at this really carefully. I'm going to say, okay, I'm doing the same kind of promotion, but I have this really jazzy speaker who's well-known, and I have a really catchy title or whatever. So I'm going to say that that's going to give me 10% more registrations. So I'm going to forecast 1,650 registrations from that. It's as simple as that. Use your head. Think about what the what the what the baseline was or the similar programs that you've run before and then calculate how is this going to be different or the same and then just start laying out what your engagement is across those channels. Then you have to figure out what's your conversion rates in order to predict the revenue. So here's where it gets a little tricky. I'm assuming most of our listeners are on Salesforce, so we all know the problematic conversion rate from MQL to opportunity. Mm. There are ways to do it, though. You can, um, it's sort of a little manual, a little wonky. You have to pull down all the records, figure out the what became opportunities. But you can do it, and I would just make sure that there's at least a couple of people on your team who know how to run that conversion rate so you can track it really closely and understand what's happening month after month after month. And so then you just take your response goals, you understand what your qualification criteria is for an MQL, and then you look at your conversion rate to opportunity. Now, the conversion rate through your funnel, like once it becomes an opportunity, is usually pretty standard. They, yeah. they know, your organization knows three to one, five to one, whatever it is, and then you can just apply that. There you go. You've got a revenue forecast. So one detail that I see done incorrectly at times, I'm just going to say it, it's done incorrectly at times, is looking at ratios rather than conversion rates. And oh, the difference yeah. between the two is you're isolating a group based on event or a date timeline. So let's say that webinar pool, you want to look at how those leads converted into opportunities. You're not looking at all the leads that came in this month and all the opportunities that were created this month, because chances are those opportunities are tied to a month or two back. So I'm glad you called that out, Camel, because it really, it is about a cohorted conversion rate. You have to look at the cohort and not at, you know, what happened in that time period. So it's always, and I think, so it's really important to say, okay, each month, these are the MQLs I generated in July. These are the ones I generated in August. These are the ones I generated in September. And out of those July ones, these are the ones that became opportunities. Out of the August one, these are the ones that became opportunities, you know, and create those cohorts for yourself. Like I said, it's a little bit logistically, you know, um, difficult to do, but not impossible to do from, from the most basic systems that have in place, as long as you have an MQL timestamp. So that's <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, not out of the box functionality. You have to build that in Salesforce. 
on Caliber Mind, we have playbooks. There's communities like the RevOps Co-op, the MoPros. There's a lot of places where you can ask questions about how to do this, and we're all help, happy to help you. Another thing, just another reason to think about cohorting and go to the extra effort is if you ever are in the situation where one number later in the funnel is higher than one before it, your executive team is going to be extremely confused. Yeah. <laughs> The math doesn't work then. <laughs> no, no. And, and that's like the one time I can really hit it home is like, this is why this is important. Oh, no. Now I get it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, we digress. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of funnels, if you don't have attribution, they can, like you said, that's a really great way to understand how you're converting. There's some other factors you need to understand if you're trying to build a forecast. And these are things everybody learns over time. You won't know it right away. So don't feel bad if you just start looking into it, start learning it. So like average opportunity amount, time to sale? What are some other factors that people need to start looking for and learning as they, they built this? Well, I think you hit on the ones that I care about, volume, velocity, and conversion rate. So yes. I want to know um, how many, uh, how much engagement a particular activity produced. I want to understand the average time between each of the stages. Like, so it takes 30 days for something to go from an MQL to an opportunity, but like how far out is the rest of your funnel. I work with some clients that have, you know, six to nine month cycles yes. uh, on average. So you really have to say, okay, uh, and this is one of the reasons why it's so important for marketers to forecast because you can say, okay, I'm generating um, engagement in Q1, but this is for revenue that's going to happen in Q3. And so if you look at the Q1 um, revenue goal, maybe the Q1 revenue goal is a lot smaller than the revenue goal in, in, in Q3. So you really need to educate your organization and say, I'm not working for what's happening right now, what you're trying to close right now. I'm working for what you think you're going to close in Q3 and Q4. And usually those are the biggest quarters, especially Q4. And so you've got to be really putting a lot of stuff in the marketplace. This is the other thing that disturbs me about the lack of planning is that you need to be in market on January 3rd because you cannot come back from the holidays and then start planning your quarter because you are not going to be able to generate enough engagement to feed that pipeline that they need for later on in the year. You've got to hit the ground running. And you touched on this a bit, but I just want to hit this home. I have had sales managers say, I don't care when I bring up, look, there's been a lot of leads, not a lot of pipeline. I'm really concerned about it because they're concerned about closing business now. And that's how they're compensated. And I understand that, but that's why Mark, Marketers have to pay attention and be an advocate for what's happening now when it comes to early funnels so that we're not in trouble in that six months. They are the crystal ball, you know, and, but I also feel like sometimes this rest of the organization doesn't want to hear it. Like, oh, know, chicken little is my nickname, my friend, chicken little. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're like, we're not generating enough stage ones. We're not generating enough stage twos. And we're like all panicky because we see this very early on and it isn't until six months later that the rest of the organization is like, we're not going to close that. We're not going to meet the revenue goals this quarter. And yeah, we usually are the, you can be the first alert system for the organization. And that's really an important role to be playing. I will say one of the ways to help yourself a little bit 
is that you can advocate to have the SDR lead qualification team or whatever reporting into marketing. Because then you have a lot more control over that conversion rate to opportunity. And you can really hone in on a lot of messaging around the campaigns that are going out. When that organization is under sales, not that it's terrible, but you know it's preferable in my mind that, that it be under marketing so that you can make sure that pipeline is getting built when it needs to be built. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Like I've advocated for adding an inside sales team and we only had full cycle sellers because if you're looking at the data, you can see month one and month two pipeline build looks great. And month three, it tanks because they're all focused on closing deals. And that is going to be consistent across the board. So if you can help drive the inside sales team org and have them report to you, that's awesome. And also they are such a great resource for understanding whether or not messaging's working. Yeah. And you know what? Even if you're not, if, if this SDR team isn't under marketing, listening to those calls should be a requirement for everyone on the marketing team. Everyone should be listening to two or three calls a week to hear how that initial conversation is going. Because as your market, as a marketing team, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to initiate that conversation. And if you're not helping a BDR do that, then you need to look at what you're doing. And I have to say, this is a generalization, but I'll, and I think this is going to change because this function is just getting more and more important, but a lot of people are hiring very green BDRs and they assume a lot of things are common sense that just are acquired knowledge over time. So they may not know how quickly they need to respond, what they should prioritize, what they should be doing first, and how they should respond to particular responses. That was redundant. How they should craft an email for a hand raise. (laughs) Yeah. But I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that function because the best SDR BDRs that I've worked with are not young green people. They're people who just have this expertise, this secret sauce, this ability to get people on the phone and to get them to agree to that first meeting. And that's a very nuanced entree into these organizations. Um, So I'm not sure a green person is the right person to try and make that happen because that'd be pretty good. And if your product is complex, oh, or the, I feel feel for those guys because if you have a really complex product and you're trying to in two minutes explain it to somebody and you're not, you don't really have the background in this BI data intelligence platform or whatever, you're going to be crucified. (laughs) Absolutely. And I've seen recent studies come out that 43% of B2B buyers don't want to deal with a salesperson. It is a hard, hard job and it's only getting harder. People don't like anything that smells like a sale. They want to do all their research. They want to get the referrals. And then if they have to talk to somebody, they will, but it is just getting harder. It's marketing. Marketing, we have to do a better job of, of, of teeing up those folks. Um, and making sure that they have that information. You know, I have a client who only MQLs demo requests yeah. contact us, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. I mean, their conversion rate to opportunity is almost 30%, which is like crazy. I get it. I would expect at least that though, with that strategy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my other clients don't necessarily enjoy those kind of conversion rates because they MQL people who are doing that research and not maybe ready to talk to somebody. 
you know, and I think you said this before, but one size does not always fit all. I find a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the organization and the hungriness. Like, is your sales team starving? It may not be a good idea to hold back all of those leads, especially if you have some farmer mindset people who really need that inbound to nurture in order to build their pipeline. And I think that that is the mistake that people make around their understanding of lead scoring. Lead scoring is simply a way to give you the highest quality leads that meet the bandwidth that you have on the sales side. And you can expand that. It's going to be a lower quality lead that's going to sales, but you can expand and contract that back to, you can change the criteria for an MQL at any time you want. Yes. But it really just depends on feeding the sales team. And I also like what you said about the mentality. If you have a farmer mentality kind of salesperson, then they're going to be willing to have more of those early on conversations. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people uh, take a, a methodology, a scoring methodology that they've used at past companies and try to apply it at the new one. And I highly recommend you get to know your organization better before you start making assumptions. Yeah. <laughs> it is the most important handoff point in the organization, I think, between sales and marketing. And uh, marketers, you may think that the, the MQL definition should be one thing, but if you do not have a 100% alignment with the sales organization, you are just making your life painful. You have They won't follow up on any of them. Yeah. They have to be eager. Oh, I totally agree. And involve them in the conversation as much as you can and show them evidence why you're doing what you're doing. Ask for feedback, report back how it's working and what's improved because that just improves the situation for everybody. So one thing I want to really touch on is realistically speaking, a lot of marketers, especially right now with the economy the way it is, they don't have the budget to put in the best in class analytics infrastructure. I heard you mention Salesforce and the things that are available there. Where else can they look to to build out and look at some of those core metrics? Well, I have usually I work with a lot of startups, uh, not early stage startups, but like Series B and C startups, and they don't always have the budget, or nor is it warranted to have like advanced analytics platforms. You can do a lot in Google Sheets. It is not you do not need fancy tools as long as you have a commitment to being part of a team that is looking at your metrics. And you extract those metrics from whatever system that you have, and you just look at them together in a consistent way on a consistent basis. So I'm a big advocate of not over-engineering things, keeping it simple. I think attribution and attribution tools, you really have to have an organization that is prepared to engage in that kind of conversation because it is a much more complex conversation. And like I said before, there's lots of different models. You could have a single touch model. You can have a multi-touch model. You could have a W model. You could have a U-shaped model and you could have an influence methodology and all this sourcing methodology and all this sort of stuff. And it starts to get really confusing for your organization. So I think there needs to be a level of stability before you engage with some of these advanced tools, which I love. There's a lot of really cool tools out there that are doing things. But I think it kind of circles back to what we said at first is that they're not going to be perfect. So that's the other thing is that you have to have agreement that we're going to use this as a guide. We're going to always, you know, assess what we're looking at, but we're going to know that it may not be, you know, 
including all of the millions of impressions that we're delivering on role works or whatever, you know, that as an influence. Yeah. And when you're deciding to invest first in technology or very skilled people, biased, maybe, maybe, but even if you're outsourcing that function and getting someone really high caliber to work with you, having somebody who can translate the information, prepare the executive to speak to where the gaps are and what is and isn't possible. Oh my gosh. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that whoever you partner with for your metrics platform, attribution platform or whatever needs to be viewed as a partner. Mm -hmm. So somebody that is really helping you navigate how to discuss this in the organization, how to validate the data for your organization and be really guiding you on what's kind of best practices for you. Absolutely. Because it can be done wrong in so many ways. In so many ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I would like to remind people, even if you hate attribution, you're probably already using it. Even using a form fill, that's still yeah. self-reported attribution. Yeah. So you're probably closer to it than you realize. I agree. Yeah. Don't let it scare you too much. But yeah, I totally agree with you. You need somebody who's um, also honest about what's possible and what isn't and will help you draw a line in the sand and, and learn how to communicate why that line is there to the rest of the team. Tish, this has been so fun. You're going to have to come back on, I'm afraid. Where can people find you online to network? You can certainly look at my website, which is uh, revenate.com, or you can find me under Tish Millsap on LinkedIn. So we will provide those links in the show notes. For those of you listening, thank you so much. Please rate, review, subscribe. Tell two friends. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.